All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Thoughts of the Week podcast. Yes, indeed. I've been holding out on this one, this uh, particular topic or this title for a little bit. Been holding out on this one. And uh, we're going to get into it, man. It might be one of them long ones or or it might be a part two. I don't know yet because I got quite a bit of information to drop. And uh, yeah, so we're going to get into it, man. As always, you're rocking with the best thoughts of the week podcast. Let's go. You're rocking with the best thoughts of the week podcast. All right, ladies and gents. Yeah, we live on stereo as well. We on a couple of Facebook pages and YouTube. Want to thank y'all for coming in. Thank you for those who's going to be watching the replay. Thank you for those who's going to be coming in and checking out, checking me out live. For those who are listening to me on stereo, on the stereo app. If you want to watch me live, you can always click the link that's already up there and check me out live. Or you can listen in through Stereo. All right. All right. So, yeah. Today's title, Are We Heading Towards One World Control? All right. Are we really heading towards one world control? So I'm going to just pull up a few things here and there, read a few things and play a few things and uh, comment on a few things. And let's see if we really head in that direction. All right. So first off, what I want to do is I want to start off with an audio clip. And um, in real time, let me get this off here real quick. Hold on. In real time, what's up? Let me see who's this watching me. Where y'all watching me from? Uh, somebody's watching me from Blog World. Really? Okay. Oh, from uh, Facebook. Okay, what? Well, now they, they left, but it's all good. So, yeah, we're going to play this audio real quick. Actually, we're going to play three different audios, but at three different times. We're not going to play them back to back to back right off the bat right quick. Not yet. We're going to play a few things here. And um, let's see here. Let's see. Let me get this out. Let me close this out. Won't use that just yet. All right. So first off, we're going to play this first audio here. And uh, we're going to come back and talk about that. I'm going to a few things and um yeah man anybody coming in feel free to want to join in and discuss all right so check it out this is the first audio right now 
Smartwatches that detect heart problems, airport security systems that match our faces to our passports. As this type of technology becomes more common, it's forcing us to make some tough decisions. We start in India. It has 1.3 billion people, but no equivalent of the social security number. So the government has struggled to deliver benefits to people who might be illiterate or live in remote rural areas. It created the biggest biometric ID system in the world. And NPR's new Mumbai correspondent Lauren Freyer recently joined it. She has this report. Do I look straight ahead? Yes. So I look into this machine, and it's scanning the inside of my eye, my irises. Moving to India means joining the world's biggest biometric database called Aadhaar. I've been assigned a unique 12-digit number linked to my fingerprints, photo, and iris scans. The data is stored on government servers. Aadhaar, which means foundation in Hindi, started eight years ago with a big patriotic PR campaign. His commercial shows elderly people smiling as Adhar helps them collect state pensions. The system is voluntary, but in just eight years, the government has managed to enroll more than 1.2 billion people, the vast majority of the country, even those hardest to reach. Downtown Mumbai is packed with soaring glass skyscrapers, headquarters from some of India's biggest banks. But just across the street, there are 25 street children who sleep in a circle under a highway underpass. My name is Manisha. I'm 17 years old. (laughs) Manisha Kamble grew up on the street. She has no address, no birth certificate. She was basically invisible to the state until the charity Save the Children helped her enroll in Aadhaar. In India, you're nothing without Aadhaar, Manisha says. She's proud to be counted, to become official. She's used Aadhaar to enroll in school. She studies at night under street lamps and got the highest marks in her class last spring. Aadhaar can be used to verify your identity when you do anything with the government, get married, pay taxes, or draw welfare. And also when you open a bank account, sign up for a cell phone contract, or set up an e-wallet online. The system is designed to cut fraud. It's hard to counterfeit your irises. But it requires electricity to scan people's biometrics and internet to check them against government databases. In downtown Mumbai, you might have those. In poorer places, you often don't. Ashok Kumar scoops and measures out rice rations in rural Jharkhand, one of India's poorest states. More than half of Indians are eligible for free or subsidized food. The government says Aadhaar has helped purge hundreds of thousands of fake names from ration lists and from voter rolls. People line up outside Mr. Kumar's tiny stucco shop. He scans their fingerprints with something that looks like a credit card machine. It runs on batteries and a cell phone signal. No internet, internet. But he says the network is shaky. He walks across the street, lifting his machine up overhead until he finally gets a signal. He sets up shop instead on the steps of a Hindu temple. So you're putting in the Aadhaar number. And now this lady will put her finger on the scanner. It checks her Aadhaar number against her fingerprints in a government database and prints out a receipt for her ration, a bag of rice. The next customer, Karu Buya, is not as lucky. His fingerprints are worn from manual labor. Mr. Kumar tries to scan them five times, but he gets an error message. Your problem. Problem with the machine. Yes, problem. 
Most machines in rural India only scan fingerprints, not irises. So Mr. So you probably get an idea, at least a good idea of what's going on. Hopefully you guys on stereo actually heard that. I think it was loud enough. Um, so let's look. Let's talk about that real quick. Here we have India and they're using this eye scan machine. I don't know what year this was in. So um, my apologies on that. But um, they've been using this eye scan machine. And this eye scan machine, this is in India. I think it's called the Adhar. And they said about 1.2 billion people were enrolled in this program. All right. From I took a little bit. No, see, sometimes what I do um, when I go on live, sometimes I do research beforehand, but sometimes I go ahead ahead of time and I would go ahead and do everything in real time. So you actually hear me listening to everything in real time and then uh making comments on it so real quick let's uh let's see what message we got before we uh continue on we got a message coming in on stereo hey there hey the manny hey there i came <laughs> in like i guess towards the end of your what you were playing uh, I get the gist of what um, what it is, but I I didn't hear from the beginning. So, um, so yeah. So what um, it says thoughts of the week? So I will continue to listen. All right, appreciate that, Crystal. That was Sister Cor- Sister Crystal. Yeah. Um, the question today is: Are we heading towards one world control? And um, what I just played is one uh, audio clip. I have two more to go, but I'll play it at different times. I'm going to go over some articles as well. But um, what's been happening, or at least in this situation, and uh, with the question, are we heading to- towards a one world control? Come on over here. Yeah, I got my dog here today. So y'all bear with me. He's always on the alert. But um. Yeah, so are we heading to a world one world control? And I played an audio clip of um, in India, they supposedly had this eye scanning machine. And this eye scanning machine, they had supposedly, according to the clip, they have 1.2 billion Indians from India enrolled in this program where they use this eye scanning machine. And um, with this machine, they said that uh, you can use it to verify marriages, verified banking. And then right before I turned it off, it sounded like people were buying things and they were using the machine to uh, scan the people. I guess, I don't know if it's, as they say it's from the eyes, you scan their eyes. I don't know how that works out and how they can tell from one person to the next who's who. They was measuring some bags of rice and they were scanning, I believe they were scanning their eyes and not the the bag itself as far as as charging them a price on what they um of what it cost so yeah so i'm just giving out my examples of are we really heading into a one world control and so that was one example of uh you know they got these 1.2 they said i said as much that's almost the whole population of India that was in this program. And I noticed when 
people want to start trying to do things, they do different tests and just kind of gauge where the people's heads are at, see if they approve or they disapprove or they just going to go along with it or what. And somehow in India, they got most of the population to get on board with these scanning machines. Now, I don't know what year this um, this clip was from. I couldn't, I wasn't able to find out what year that came from. But nonetheless, even if it were just a trial run, they're still testing this stuff out. All right. So that was one example. And I'm going to pull up uh, something real quick here and go over it. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see if this is it. No, that's not it. I'll be reading a few articles here as well. I wanted to start off with the article regarding the, um, the if I have it here, the RFID chip. And if not, I thought I had it in here, but we'll continue on with something else. If not, let me see. I think I got it right here. Let me just make sure. There we go. Okay, cool. All right. So what are the, uh, what is this RFID tags? Let me see if I can find the chip. Matter of fact, I think I can pull these all up. If I'm not mistaken here. Let me see if this is it. Yeah, there we go. So what is RFID and how does it work? All right. RFID is an acronym for radio frequency identification and refers to a technology whereby digital data encoded in RFID tags are smart labels are captured by a reader via radio wave. So what I'm looking at is a picture of some type of scanner. And then in the audio, they were talking about how the scanners were similar to a credit card um, machines that they used. I guess the, they used that to scan their eyes. So we continue on here real quick. The RFID is similar to bar barcoding in that data from a tag or label are captured by a device that stores the data in a database. RFID, however, has several advantages over systems that use barcode asset tracking software. All right. The most notable is the RFID tag data can be used outside the line of sight, whereas barcodes must be aligned with an optical scanner. If you are considering implementing an RFID solution, take the next step and contact the RFID experts, uh, American barcode, I guess that's. So how does it work? Um, the RFID belongs to a group of technologies referred to as automatic identification and data capture. I, I mean, AIDC, the AIDC methods automatically identify objects, collect data about them and enter those data directly into computer systems with little or no human intervention. RFID methods utilize radio waves to accomplish this. At a simple level, RFID systems consist of three components and um, an RFID tag and a smart label or smart label and RFID reader and an antenna. 
So uh, let me see here. RFID tags contain an integrated circuit and an antenna, which are used to transmit data to the RFID reader, which is also called the interrogator. The reader then converts the radio waves to a more usable form of data. Information collected from the tags is then transferred through a communications interface to host computer system to a host computer system where the data can be stored in a database and analyzed at a later time. So I guess that's their brief description of how that actually works. All right. Just to kind of give you a, a base of what that is and how it works. And let me see. So they talked about the tags. And so what are um, our, the RFID tags and how are they used, right? So while most RFID tags are used for merchandise or to track, so this is key to track packages, they can also be used to help track pets or patients in hospitals. Now they mention they say that, but you can also, if they can track pets and patients in hospitals, they can track everybody else too. So RFID tags are a type of tracking system that uses radio frequency search, identify, track, and communicate with items and people. Essentially, RFID tags are smart labels that can store a range of information from serial numbers to a short description and even pages of data. Some RFID tags include cryptographic security features for a high level of verification and authentic and authentication or authentication, excuse me. RFID tags are usually identified by their radio frequencies, low frequencies, high frequencies, and ultra high frequencies. So that's I'm just going to give you a brief on that. Okay. So again, I'm going to, from time to time, repeat the question, are we heading towards one world control, right? And so, so far we have, we talked about the um, eye scanning machine in India. They were using that. It's called the Aadhaar. And supposedly 1.2 billion people in India have enrolled or been enrolled in the program. They can use that information or use that machine to verify marriages, to verify banking, to purchase things with it. And um, it looks like a, what a machine they had looked like a little credit card machine that they used to scan. It's supposedly supposed to scan your eyes for the, to be able to, to uh, do all these functionings, to scan your eyes and see if you're married or not married. Uh, banking information, uh, scan your eyes to purchase things. All right. So that's where we at on this one. So let's go on and play this second audio. Then we'll get into a couple of other articles real quick. The iPhone X uses software to recognize your face. So does technology that's becoming more common in airports. That's raising concerns about privacy and the system's ability to accurately identify people of color and women. NPR's Brian Naylor reports. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for waiting. When British Airways flight 2036 would now like to invite all passengers sitting in group one 
all passengers seated in group one. You are welcome to board at 880. At the Orlando International Airport, Britain-bound passengers wearing Mickey Mouse t-shirts and other Disney paraphernalia are lining up for tonight's flight to London's Gatwick Airport. Gate 80 looks like any other airport departure area, except for the two small gates with what look like two small boxes on posts next to them. They're cameras, actually. So you just have to step on the yellow footprint and look at the camera, that's all. Sherry Stein is with CETA, a Geneva-based company that develops information technology for the world's airlines. So as a person approaches the gate, they step onto the designated footprints which triggers the camera. We collect a photo, send that to CBP, who checks to make sure that that person's booked on the manifest and matches the photo that they already have on file. If everything matches, we open the doors and give them the okay to board. All that happens in three to five seconds. CBP, that's Customs and Border Protection, is testing biometric scanning at a dozen or so international airports to ensure that people leaving the country are who they say they are and to prevent visa overstays. The TSA is testing similar devices at security check-in lines, says the agency's Steve Carolee. I think the use of biometrics is a game changer for a lot of folks, a lot of industries. Obviously the same for aviation security. It is a game changer. It will make things a little bit easier, uh, more efficient at, at an airport environment. Carolee predicts it will be a few more years before biometrics are in widespread use by his agency. Critics like Harrison Rudolph of the Center on Privacy and Technology at Georgetown University Law School say the technology now isn't ready for prime time. This program is riddled with legal and technical problems. Among those problems, Rudolph says, is bias. DHS doesn't seem to know whether its system will falsely reject folks at higher rates because of their race or gender. That's a serious problem. According to a report by the Kappa Center for Aviation, face recognition software is not that good at identifying ethnic minorities. Another problem is people wearing glasses or headscarves. Rudolph says about 4% of travelers are wrongly rejected by the system. Another concern he has, he says privacy protections are non-existent. DHS hasn't issued a single rule under this program to protect Americans' privacy. So what DHS decides to do with this information tomorrow, I'm not sure. And without rules, there may be few protections for Americans' privacy. Customs and Border Protection, part of DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, says it deletes the photos taken at airport gates within 14 days. Sean Farrell, Director of Strategy and Innovation at CETA, says travelers seem to be comfortable with the new technology. We haven't seen that privacy has been a major concern for passengers. They seem to actually embrace this technology and are willing to, you know, provide a biometric in order to get the benefit of an improved boarding process. And many travelers in Orlando we spoke with said they were happy with the process. But at least one, Arthur Quelch of Southampton, was not all that impressed. Didn't think it made a lot of difference, really. Um, seems to have slowed things down, if anything. But uh, we'll see how it goes. I expect they'll improve it. Of course, Mr. Quelch was near the end of the queue of some 280 passengers boarding the BA flight. Comfortable or not, travelers should get used to the technology. President Trump signed an executive action last year urging the government to speed up the airport use of biometric devices, and CBP hopes to have face scanners installed at all the nation's airports in four years. Brian Naylor, NPR News, Washington. All right, so they mentioned Trump, so that was during his uh, presidential uh, run, where I guess they were testing these things out. And I think the company's name was Siva. And it looks like they was testing this out from what I was just hearing 
in Orlando. All right. So it's almost like they're trying to um, casually uh, program people in to get used to this technology and kind of set it up to where it's just uh, comfortable for you to just walk through and another part of normal day pro uh, process without seeming too intrusive. And um, so you have that and then you have the eye scanning machine. And I guess this is similar because they uh, let me see. It says the steps you can step on a some type of footprint. They tell you where to stand at. And I don't know. I, I haven't been flying in a while, so I don't know if they had these at other airports at all. And uh, we're testing this out during the uh, Trump administration, at least. And um, you're supposed to step on some feet, some foots, some footprints, and then it sets a camera off. And then the information, you know, the camera takes the photo and then it sends that information in to some somebody, some area database or whatever for verification. And then it verifies, yeah, this is the person that's supposed to be on the flight, so on and so forth. And that kind of gives them the okay that, yeah, let this person on. That seems a little bit uh, concerning right there. And then the fact that um, they mentioned that they still were having flaws with the machine because if you wore glasses or some type of headscarf, it would uh, cause some problems in identification. All right. And then another thing I noted was that they supposedly delete the photos that they take within 14 days. And we don't know that to be true or not. You know, like I said, uh, they mentioned Orlando. So apparently it was using the Orlando airport. So there's another example of, you know, uh, is this a way for them to come in and, like I said, ease their way in and bring everybody under a one world control? Know where you're doing, know where you're going, know what you're buying, know if you get married, know what's going on with your banking information. And um, I mentioned in the in the description of my um, of the video, because I'm also live here on Facebook and YouTube as well. And I mentioned in the description how uh, Biden, I guess, signed something to where uh, Ven was it Venmo, PayPal and Cash App now have to report anybody's earnings that are at least six hundred dollars and above. Then I read something else. Mentioning that it was like if you made ten thousand or something with the amount of ten thousand dollars. So. I have to look into that a little bit more. Like I said, I caught a few articles, one mentioning 600 and above, and another one mentioned something about 10,000. I don't know if that has something to do with businesses that make over that, then they want that reported, or if that's across the, um, across the board with anybody. All right. So again, I say, are we heading to towards a one world control with all of these systems being tested and put into play? And uh, like I said, Biden put in that bill or whatever he signed. I forget what it was, but regarding Venmo, PayPal and Cash App. But I also seen a video a while back or maybe it's an article mentioning Stripe wasn't was not affected. So I don't know what's up with that. You know, he mentioned PayPal, Cash App and Venmo, but Stripe wasn't mentioned in that at all. 
So that's something to look into further. And um, let me see here. Let me see what we got here. So we got all these little things put into play. And, you know, like I said, it's just kind of being casually done and um, made to blend into what your everyday activities are. And then if they decide to, like, you know, pass a law about this stuff, you know, some people are going to get upset, but a lot of people probably won't because they have already been kind of casually getting you comfortable with the systems and all of that. And that's just like, um, this is one of the things they do. And one of the ways they try to get you to uh, go with a certain law or something to that effect. You know, they kind of casually bring you in. Sometimes they'll um, in your face, do something and just see what the the response is going to be from the citizens. And if they see that a lot of citizens are complaining or there's a lot of news stories on it, then they'll kind of, fall back a little bit and maybe go back to the drawing board and figure out some other ways they can kind of ease stuff in on us. Right. So I got another, another article. This might coincide with the audio that just, that you just heard where uh, it's talking about the facial scanning now arriving in U S airports. And again, um, anybody who, anybody who's listened to this on stereo or you watching this on uh, the social media platforms, for those who are stereo, you can click the link and maybe um, in the comments under the video, if you know about any other airports they were doing this in, feel free to go ahead and come over to the video and comment. Even after we're over, you can always go over there, hit the link and go over. But uh, let me see. Uh, it says, it ain't me, babe. Researchers find flaws. Okay. In police facial recognition technology. And that's another thing, too. Um there is a big things where they're saying when it comes to black people, especially ones, the black folks who have darker skin, they're saying their facial recognition is um, having trouble to, you know, hard time trying to identify darker skinned people. So, you know, that might be in people's best benefit that they that they can't do that. You know what I mean? So. Outside of, you know, people doing crimes and stuff, you know. There were, let me see what it says. They were installed, they were installed this month by CETA, the Geneva, yep, Geneva-based company that develops information technology for the world's airlines in conjunction in conjunction with British Airways and US Customs and Border Protection, or CBP. Uh, Sherry Stein, a senior manager at CETA, says the cameras are triggered when passengers step on to the designated footprints. Uh, we collect a photo, send it to CBP, who checks to make sure that the person is booked on the manifest and matches the photo that they already have on file. So they already have, where do you get the photos at? So it takes a photo and then it matches a photo they already have on file. So where did they get that photo from? You see what I'm saying? It looks like some little slick stuff going on. But anyway, um, let me see. Checks to make sure the, the person is booked on the manifest and matches the photo that they already have on file. If everything matches, we open the doors and give them the okay to board. All that happens, she says, is in uh, within three to five seconds. 
If things don't match, the traveler's passport is scanned manually by a gate agent. Uh, Customs and Border Protection is testing and hopes to expand the use of biometric scanners at airports across the U.S. CBP is testing biometric scanning at a dozen or so U.S. international airports. There you go. And uh, let me see what the uh, see if I can get the date on this. Just let me see. It looks like, oh, this was probably in 2018. They were testing this out, this in particular. Okay. And yeah, that's probably around, that was around when Trump was a uh, president. Yeah. Okay. So they were testing these things out. Now, whether they are still in play or not, I don't know if they still have these things in play. So let me see here. Uh, critics like uh, Harrison Rudolph of the Center on Privacy and Technology at Georgetown University Law School say the technology now isn't ready for prime time. You heard this same thing in the audio. Rudolph, uh, co-author of a, re- a report released by the Center in December, considers the system, quote, riddled with legal and technical problems. All right. So this article kind of coincides with the audio that you guys just heard. So I'm not going to read too much of that and give enough time to get into these other articles here. All right. So let me do this real quick. Let me pull up another article before we get into the last audio. Let me look at a few articles here that um, I think you guys will be interested in for sure. Let me see. That's not the one I want. Let's see. This is the Indian one. I think we uh, talked about that. Or at least heard the audio of it. Let me make sure here. The uh, Indians, India's biometric ID system has led to starvation for some poor, advocates say. All right. Let me see. Ashok Kumar works at a food ration distribution shop in... Uh, let me see that Harkland or Jakartland. He uses a small machine to scan people's fingerprints and check them against the Adhar ID numbers. Okay. He scans their, let me see, it scans their fingerprints. Okay. Uh, Kumar works at a food ration distribution. India has 1.3 people. I, I think I said 1.2 and no equivalent of the social security number. About four in 10 births go unregistered. Less than 2% of the population pays income tax. Before I go on, that may, that reminds me also, they use these different um, excuses to um, justify them putting in these things in play. Like the uh, when the 9-11 situation occurred, you know, they use that as justification to put certain security measures in place. Even though after that happened, There wasn't really no real signs of uh, any dangers after that for some time, but they'll use these these things like um, for safety. It's for safety purposes and this and that. And and at the same time, it invades your privacy, too. So that's what I I was reading this here. It seems like that's what brought to brought to my mind, came to my mind was that they was using, you know, they're using different things to. come up with a justification to have these machines without telling you the real intent that's going on. Right. So let me see, to try to address these issues, the Indian government rolled out the biggest biometric ID system in the world. It's a voluntary 
Yeah, voluntary for now. But in just eight years, India has managed to collect fingerprints, photos, and iris scans of more than 1.2 billion people. Okay. The government says the system called Adhar, which uh, also means foundation in Hindi, has helped to distribute welfare to countries neediest, streamline the civil service, purge hundreds of thousands of names from voter rolls, allow for people to move between states without losing benefits. See all of this in the name of security, right? And they saying all these things as if like, hey, we're taking care of um, the welfare, the country's neediest, and we're going to streamline civil service. We're going to purge hundreds of names and voter rolls. Don't y'all think that's nice and that's cool? You know what I mean? So that's how they phase that stuff in on folks. And uh, let me see. Collecting biometrics. Um, here's how Adhar works. An applicant goes to an Indian post office or ID enrollment center and shows proof of address and identity. In cases where people don't have a fixed address or any ID, another Indian can legally vouch for the person, right? And um, an Adhar worker scans applicants' irises in your eyes, takes the uh, takes their fingerprints and photos and assigns them a unique 12-digit number. So they already get you put in the system, all right? The um, biometric data are stored on government servers. Uh, several weeks later, an ID card arrives in the mail, all right? Let me see here. The rollout uh, was accompanied by a big patriotic PR campaign. So you had to go through all of that, the PR campaign and... TV ads and all that to get them uh, put in this program. Showing smiling elderly people using Adhar to collect state pensions and villagers using it to collect food rations. So they got to go through all of this uh, rigmarole to get you programmed to get into this system. Uh, what's up? Somebody's checking me out on uh, YouTube. Appreciate you coming in. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to leave it at that, man. That's That should be enough right there for that article. So let's pull up another one real quick. We'll get into this last audio in, um, in a little bit. Because there are some other articles I think you guys, I think you might know about it. But um, we're going to take a look anyway. Let me see here. Okay, the uh, Democrats, I think this might be the, what I was talking about earlier. This is, uh, looks like it's last year, but uh, Democrats IRS bank, bank account monitoring plan. I think that's the one that Biden supposedly put his pen on. So the IRS bank account monitoring plan would affect 87 million Americans analysis shows. All right. Before I read this article, let's uh, hear in for this message real quick. Okay, so I clicked on your link and I went over there. I, um, I had to sign in. I had to go find my stuff because I hadn't signed in into YouTube in a while. So I signed in and I hit like. 
I wasn't able to comment under your video because you're currently live now, so there's no place to comment under your video. But I am there. I'm there under um, Let's Talk Classic Hip Hop. So if you <laughs> see a um, notification that Let's Talk Classic Hip Hop uh, subscribe to you, that is me. So I'm going to continue to listen. All right. I appreciate that, Crystal. Thank you very much. All right. All right, so let's get into this uh, article real quick. The IRS bank reporting plan will likely be um, omitted from the final BBB. All right. Cornerstone Macro, uh, head of U.S. policy research, um, Laparier, I think it's pronounced, discusses the IRS bank account controversy, reconciliation, bill price tag, tag and uh, tax increases and climate change proposals. Um, Tens. Of millions, let me get this out the way real quick here. There you go. Tens of millions of Americans could see their bank account information swept and reported to the Internal Revenue Service under a deeply controversial proposal from Democrats. Um, let me see here. I just lost my spot there. From Democrats, uh, according to a new analysis, Democrats crafted a plan earlier this year to require banks and other financial institutions to disclose. That's what I was talking about, the 10,000 I was talking about earlier. So I'll read that again. Democrats crafted a plan earlier this year to require banks and other financial institutions to disclose accounts with $10,000 of annual deposits or outflows to the IRS, a move intended to help the agency crack down on wealthy tax cheats. That's what they say, right? All right. Recipients of federal benefits like unemployment and Social Security would be exempt from the policy under the latest iteration of the proposal, which would also exclude any income received through a paycheck in which federal taxes are automatically deducted. U.S. President Joe Biden speaks on the economy in the Eisenhower Executive Office building in Washington, D.C. That was on Tuesday, November the 23rd of 2021. The uh, Joint Committee on Taxation estimated that um, some 87 million Americans who earn less than $400,000 in adjusted gross income would see their account information reported to the IRS. Uh, that represents a little more than half, about 59% of the 148 million taxpayers in the U.S. earning less than $400,000. Let me see. Manchin says controversial bank reporting plan likely out of final uh, spending bill. So let me see if there's anything else added to this real quick. All right. So that's just something to, put, to get a heads up on. And to get familiarized with it, like I said, again, the question is, are we heading towards one world control? So they're putting all these things into place, putting these plans into place so they can watch what you're doing at all times, see what your banking is like, what kind of monies you're making and what you're buying for your food. But I also say this because um, I had to talk with people some a few years ago. And to be honest with you, this is really been going into place, you know, put into place real slowly for years, because when you started using your um, if you all remember. At some point when you started using your debit cards, you know, when you go shopping, 
You remember when the people used to ask for your information? I mean, they still do now a little bit because I remember going to a store. What store did I go to yesterday? And they asked that I have my number in the system. But remember when this all started and it kind of made you wonder, like, why do they want to know your phone number and your zip code? But they was doing this some years back when you started using your cards and stuff like that. They would say, hey, um, what's, what's the zip code? And you just give them, sometimes you didn't pay attention and just gave it to them real quick and they typed it in and then you can use your card. So it seems like these things are being planned years in advance and they just know how to roll it out to people real slow and see what they're up to. I mean, I see if they um, resist what's going on and if they do, if enough people do, they'll probably look at it like, yeah, you know what? We're going to get some type of um, some type of revolt, if you will, if we continue to keep trying to push this. So they kind of back out of it and they try to figure out other ways to roll stuff in and make it feel comfortable to the people. Right. So let me let me pull up another article here. Let me see. Let me see if this is the one. Okay, this might be one of them. Let me try another one real quick. Let's get them all pulled up very quick here. Let me see what this one is. Okay, that's the second one. We're going to these articles here, and then um, I'll play this last audio after that. And we'll get into that. Let me see here. We got that one, got that one. This one is in regards to uh, Elon Musk, and I'm sure, I'm sure you guys heard it, heard of it, heard about it, heard the things that were going on with it. Let me just make sure I picked the right one first. Let me see. I'm, uh, okay, that's that one. And that's that one. And my brain chip will be ready for human. Okay. Let me see. All right. So you guys know about the um, the uh, Neuralink, the brain chips that uh, Elon Musk wants to have everybody embedded in their brains. And um, it makes you wonder, like he the impression of him is like he's independent with all his things that he's doing. But I wonder how much is he working with uh, government or other entities to get certain things in play? And he's doing certain things that they're funneling, giving him money for. And so for him having billions, you know, that's probably because the government is giving him money to do certain things and bring certain technologies out. And in the grand scheme of things, it's probably for, again, um, some type of control, right? So this article here is the Elon Musk said Neuralink hopes to start implanting its brain chips in humans in 2022 later than he anticipated. So I guess he anticipated doing it 2021 or even 2020, who knows, right? All right, so let's take a look at that real quick. He said that um, his that the uh, first humans to receive the chips would be people with severe spinal cord injuries. So on the surface, that sounds cool and it sounds 
some type of honorable because because it makes it look like yeah you're doing something for people to have some issues and things like that and in this case spinal cord injuries right and then um he says musk has previously given uh earlier time frames for the Neuralink to implant chips in humans so he's saying the first humans are going to be those with spinal cord injuries but then who else after that right Elon, Elon Musk has said that Neuralink, uh, his brain interface technology company, hopes to start implanting its microchips in humans next year. Um, Neuralink was founded by Musk in 2016. Look how many years ago was that, right? It's developing a chip that would be implanted in people's brains to simultaneously record and stimulate brain activity. It's intended to have medical um, applications, so they so he says, or so they say, such as treating serious spinal cord injuries and neurological disorders. You know, that might be his original intent, but you know, when people start doing one thing, they start finding out or coming up with other ideas to try, you know, use this for other purposes as well. And sometimes you can, you know, just by discovery. Just by mere discovering something, you go, oh, this does this too. Oh, okay, let's use it for that too, and see how far we can go with it with this. So, during a um, live stream interview uh, at the Wall Street Journal's um, CEO Council Summit on Monday, Musk was asked what uh, Neuralink planned to do in 2022. He said that Neuralink's working uh, well in monkeys, so they tried them and he tried them in monkeys, and we're actually doing just a lot of testing and just uh confirming that it's very safe and reliable okay let me get this message well let me finish the sentence i get this message here um and Neuralink device can be removed safely so he's claiming that you can put it in the brain and then you can remove it safely out the brain is what he's saying he added uh we hope to have this in our first humans which will be people that have severe spinal cord injuries like um tetraplegics and quadriplegics next year pending fda approval must said the Neuralink standards for implanting the device are substantially higher than what the fda requires so he's claiming that you know his standards going to be way higher than what the fda requires and that in itself you know it's almost like he I don't know if he knew he said that or realized it, but he's telling you something about the FDA at the same time. So FDA standards are probably low about a lot of things. And he's saying even his um, with his Neuralink, the standards going to be way above what they even the FDA requires. So, again, that should tell you something about the FDA. And when they start approving vaccines and all that stuff, that should tell you a lot there, how much they require or what their so-called standards are. All right. So Musk, um, Musk reiterated that um, in 2022 timeline in a tweet that progress will accelerate when we when we have devices in humans. Hard to have nuanced conversations with monkeys next year, he said. Musk has previously offered earlier time frames for Neuralink to implant its chips in humans for the first time. He said in February that Neuralink could start implanting the tech in people by the end of 2021.
but I think he's late because I'm going to read a couple of other articles after this one that coincide with it. But um, he said this in 2019, that in 2021, they should have, they should be able to uh, start implanting this in different humans. So Musk said Neuralink hopes to begin human testing by the end of 2020. All right. He also has, um, Musk has a history of over promising and under delivering on project timelines. In April, Neuralink released a video of a monkey playing a video game using a Neuralink device. I think I seen that video recently too. Um, yeah, I did see that video, him, a monkey playing a video game, but it was hard to tell whether or not the monkey had the actual uh, Neuralink implanted. Um, after raising 205 million in July, Neuralink said it would channel the funds toward developing its chips so that it could allow quadriplegics to control digital devices with their minds. Now, for some people, they might think, yo, that's cool. I can control this with my mind. And yeah, I get it. But, you know, th that's how they get people. You know, some people will get on board because some of that stuff they saying sounds cool. But again, they ushering in. You getting programmed to get all this stuff so they can control you. And everything you do, quadriplegics and tetraplegics is the full or partial paralysis of the arms and legs. Neuralink isn't the only company. So there's another one out there. Neuralink isn't the only company developing brain interface technology. In July, a 20 person biotech firm called Synchron uh, obtained approval from the Food and Drug Administration to start human testing. So if you start hearing something about a, a company named Synchron, then you know what they're up to. And then um, it says that, uh, let me see, they obtained approval from the FDA. So again, we know nothing about Synchron standards and we don't know. So these are the things that always go under everybody's radar. I think I was kind of talking about this on somebody other, some other people's talks. You know, they do all this stuff and they're doing it under your noses like they got this Ukraine war going on. Right. And while that's going on, they setting other things up. So when they when they decide, hey, let's uh, let's stop this war nonsense and then kind of ease things. And then next thing you know, they come up with some laws and that you wondering where that come from. But they had your mind so focused on Ukraine and Russia that they just eased in these little laws under everybody's noses. Right. So remember that name, Synchron, Synchron, Synchron. It's been, they've been very quiet. So nothing, nothing's been said about them as of yet. All right. So let me see here. Which brain chips will be ready for implementation. Okay. Let's see here. It wants to embed microchips in people's skulls and get robots. All right. We'll read this one here. Elon Musk Neuralink wants to embed microchips in people's skulls and get robots to perform brain surgery. So you want to put this chip in your head and then the robot wants to perform this the brain surgery on you. Right. So Neuralink first became publicly known in 2017 when the Wall Street Journal reported on its um, existence. The company's first major public 
outing didn't come until 2019 when, when Musk and other members of the Neuralink's executive team showed off their tech in a live stream presentation. I think that was with the uh, the monkey, but let me see. Neuralink is developing two bits of equipment. The first is a chip that will be implanted in a person's skull with electrodes fanning out into the brain. So imagine what that looks like, right? The uh, chip is, the chip Neuralink is developing um, is about the size of a coin and would be embedded in a person's skull from the chip an array of tiny wires, each roughly 20 times thinner than a human hair fan out into the patient's brain. The wires are equipped with 1,024 electrodes, which are able to monitor brain activity and theoretically electrically stimulate or is that simulate? I think it stimulate the brain. This data is transmitted wirelessly via the chip to computers where it can be studied by researchers. Okay. The second is a robot that could automatically implant the chip. Yeah, that's crazy. The robot would uh, work by using a stiff needle to punch, quote now, I'm quoting what they're saying, to punch the flexible wires emanating from a Neuralink chip into a person's brain. So imagine a robot punching these wires into your brain. It's crazy. A bit um, a bit like a sewing machine. Yeah, pretty much. And then there was a video. Let me see. Musk has claimed that the machine could make implanting Neuralink electrodes as easy as LASIK eye surgery. Imagine that. With this uh, with this is a bold claim, neuroscientists previously told Insider in 2019 that the machine has some very promising features. Professor Andrew Hires highlighted a feature which would automatically adjust the needle to compensate for the movement of a patient's brain. As the brain moves during surgery along with a person's breathing and heartbeat, the robot as, uh, robot as it currently stands is eight feet tall. And while Neuralink is developing its underlying technology, its design was crafted by Woke Studios. Imagine a company called Woke Studios. Uh, in 2020, Neuralink showed off one of its chips embedded in a pig, embedded in a pig named Gertrude. Imagine that. All right. Then they talk about the, uh, the demos in 2021 in April when it showed off a monkey playing a video game. All right. And so, yeah, we got that. All right. So, again, let me let me listen to this message and then we'll uh, check out this last article and then go into the audio. What's up? I finally catch the show. I'll be listening. All right. Cool. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. All right. So let's go into uh, real quick. Let me get these two out of the way and go into this one. Let me see here. Let me see if there's anything different from uh, what I've been saying before I even go into this article. It might just be able to skip it all together. They kind of talk about the monkey again. Let's see if there's anything new. Doesn't look to be that. So we'll go into the audio real quick. 
the last audio here and then um you know comment on that i'm gonna take a few notes as the audio is playing and uh we go into it real quick and i'll give my commentary on on this question are we heading towards a one world control all right so here's the last audio Lots of technology promises to make routine tasks easier and quicker. But how far would you go to adopt that technology? Would you, say, implant a microchip underneath your skin? Lots of people in Sweden are doing just that. In fact, there's so much demand for the microchips that the country's main supplier says it cannot keep up with the requests. Maddie Savage reports from Stockholm. Eric Frisk is unlocking the door to a 16th century townhouse with just a swipe of his hand. The 30-year-old web developer and designer lives here with a group of friends and recently organised a chipping party, inviting a biohacking company to inject tiny microchips into the skin just above his housemate's thumbs. They work exactly the same as your key tag, the thing you scan to get into your garage or into your office. or It's just completely passive, has no energy source or anything. When you tap it against a reader, the chip sends back an ID that tells the reader which chip this is. And then if it's a door, for example, it can decide whether or not it should let you in. Growing numbers of Swedish offices, co-working hubs and gyms have started adopting the technology too. The chips can also be used to store emergency contact details, social media profiles or e-tickets for events. Why did I get the chip? Mostly because I was curious and I wanted to make my life a little bit easier. That's Sylvia Varsegi, one of Eric's housemates. This morning when I leave, the only thing that I need is my bank card. That's the one thing that I basically carry around. But for every other thing, the chip basically solves my problems. What was it like getting it inserted? A little bit scary, but not painful at all. I was surprised. Maybe it was the adrenaline, but it was perfectly fine. More than 4,000 Swedes have had the chips inserted. One company's dominating the market. It was started by a former professional body piercer turned tech addict. My name is Johan Estelund. I'm the CEO and founder of Biohacks International. For the last five years, it's escalated quickly. Last two years, I've been doing this full time. Privacy is the big issue that a lot of people will be thinking about when they hear this. What happens to people's data? It's not much different than today. Everything is hackable, but the reason to hack them will never be bigger because it's a microchip. It's harder for someone to get to since you put it in you. What happens if a software update is needed? Well, that happens in the back end. He's got a lifetime of about 10 years. Not like today's phones. There won't be a need to get a new one every year. Sweden's largest train company recently started allowing commuters to use chips instead of tickets. And there's talk they could soon be used to make payments in shops and restaurants. But I'm on my way to meet Ben Liberton, a British scientist based in Sweden who's campaigning for lawmakers to keep a closer eye on the trend. What is happening now is relatively safe, but if it's used everywhere, if every time you want to do something, you want to kind of, instead of using a card, use your chip, it could be very, very easy to let go of that information. Swedes are early adopters when it comes to technology, and the economy is already one of the most cashless on the planet. Microchips are a niche trend right now, but it might not be too long before they go mainstream. 
And that's something that worries Ben Liberton. Because it's implanted in your body, when more health-related information starts being used and incorporated into the chip and being transmitted, that could add an extra layer of privacy that we really need to look at and take care of before it's widely used. Yet his voice is very much in the minority here in Sweden, where there's a high level of trust for government institutions, banks and corporations. For NPR News, I'm Maddie Savage in Stockholm. All right. Yeah, I remember hearing about that story and I seen a video where um, this was at a business. I guess they got a few people. I think it might have been in Sweden, too, where they had um, their employees. A lot of them seemed real happy about doing it. They had that uh, microchip right right there in the web of their hand near the thumb and they can go inside the building where they work that or they can swipe their hand across the the uh, candy machine or the cookie machine and uh it seems like sweden is like the hub of doing this stuff for some reason they getting them real comfortable in doing that because a lot of people are just real cool with that type of technology and that might be a, um a place where they do a lot of technology type things All right so so there you have it on that again these are things they're trying to roll out and um they're trying to gauge people's minds as as to if people are cool with it or not and uh where they roll with doing this and um my response to the whole thing of are we heading towards a one world control it seems like that's what they're trying to do but um, there's a lot of testing that's involved in it. And with the with the testing of all the equipment and all the things like, uh, for instance, Elon Musk Neuralink situation. And of course, you have the uh, facial scanning and then you have the iris scanning machines and then you have these microchips. There's going to be a lot of uh, flaws in it. And so. If they. Which. I kind of doubt that's what they're going to do, but let's just say they, the people who who are creating these technologies and then they, the people who are trying to get the masses of people to get involved in taking this stuff, um, they're going to be having a lot of trouble because they're going to have to test a lot of this stuff out. And like I mentioned earlier with the um, the facial recognition, they're having issues with darker skinned people. And as far as identifying who they are and are identifying them, period. So you got that issue right there. There are flaws there. And so there's, there's going to be a lot of things they're going to have to improve. And that might take some years. So, yeah, they could be heading towards that that way. But it seems like there's a bunch of years that it's going to take before they even get the equipment to work right. Then you always have the element of the people. And who's going to accept it and who's not. And, you know, and we don't know how far they're going to go to make people who don't want to accept it. We don't know if they're going to give people jail time. Um, You don't know if they're going to send in the troops and beat folks down. And certain countries um, go for stuff like that. As far as the citizens, they are more um, some citizens are more docile than others in regards to that. And. in different countries anyway. And I just don't think here in the US, a lot of people, there's gonna, of course, anywhere, there's gonna be, be people who's gonna go for that. 
and there's going to be a lot of uh, pushback from people as well. So with all of that in play, with all that taking place, the equipment working like it's supposed to, and um, we don't know if this Neuralink situation, if they're going to you know, continue doing more testing in humans. And I haven't heard if they, uh, I, don't, I couldn't remember if they said they tried it on humans already. I know they said the animals they did. And um, whenever, once they do that, we don't know when the first one is going to be the real successful one and um, who they actually implanted that Neuralink into, that brain chip. So it's a lot. It's a lot of time you have to, um, I guess, fight against it for those who want to go against that stuff. And then you have the uh, privacy advocates out there as well. So there's a lot of um, barricades, if you will, to um, making this actually come through. And so um, are we, again, are we heading towards one world control? Mm, It looks like they're trying to head towards that, but will they get to that? We don't know for sure. And like I said, there's a lot of obstacles in the way from the human element, from the equipment element, the uh, privacy advocate people, and then just the citizens who just already, I could see a lot of people saying, man, they're not putting that in my brain. We're not going to have no robot doing a sewing machine move on my head and putting this stuff in there. So you got all that to contend with. So, um, yeah, so that's my take on it. Um, if you guys got a take on it, feel free to um, comment real quick. And if not, man, I'm going to get out of here, all right? Let me see. Somebody's watching me on YouTube. Just checking me out on YouTube real quick. Appreciate you, whoever that is coming in. Yeah, so we talked about uh, are we heading to that one world control? And I gave a few examples. There's a couple, there's some other people coming in now. We got somebody on my Facebook page on Blog World International on Facebook. Thank you for coming in and checking me out. We got a comment here. Let me let me hit the comment. Might be one of these crazy comments. Oh, okay. We always we always got a clown here. I'm gonna put the comments up anyway. I don't no matter how crazy it is. I don't shun nobody's comments. You just exposing yourself. So Russia, nuke America and destroy mystery Babylon America. Okay. Sam, I am. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. I like when y'all make silly comments because you really expose yourself. (laughs) So we'll put you out there if you want to be out there. But uh, thanks for your comment anyway. All right. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's it, man. Um, With that being said, I gave my... uh, my take on it. We'll uh, keep an eye on things. Like I said, remember Synchron. You haven't heard that um, company being mentioned. So that might be one of the companies that's going under the radar. And um, like they said, that uh, they got the FDA to approve them. As far as these uh, these chips go. And so Elon's the one that's out in the public in this Synchron company is the one that's under the radar that you're not hearing about. So as this is going on, let me see another comment here. Let me see what you're saying, Sam. I am Sam. I am says I was twice arrested and Baker acted for no mask slash vaccine. Uh, Corona fraud destroyed my life. And unmasked, I am unmasked for two years. I am unvaccinated for two years. I am untested for two years. Okay. And you unemployed for two years. Okay. I see where you're coming from on that. I see where you're coming from. 
And by the way, um, I forgot to mention, this is all uh, fair use, by the way. The audio that I played is for fair use for commentary purposes. Ashley, what's going on? Appreciate you coming in. This is all fair use, by the way. I just thought I'd bring that in. And uh, Sam, I am. Appreciate your comments, man. Or woman. I don't know if you're a lady or a man. But I appreciate your comments. Thanks for coming in. And uh, like I said, I gave my take on it. Um, you guys feel free to comment under the video. Those who are watching on uh, Facebook, uh, the Blog World International on Facebook, my personal Facebook page, and uh, my YouTube channel, Thoughts of the Week Podcast. And uh, with that being said, I appreciate y'all for coming in. Thanks for listening, everybody on Stereo. Appreciate the support. Thank y'all. And uh, Sam, I am. Thank you for coming in on YouTube, my man or my my girl, whichever one you might be. <laughs> my apologies. But uh, thanks for your comments. And uh, after these commercial breaks, I'm going to put on here. We're going to get up out of here. All right. Once again, you're rocking with the best thoughts of the week podcast. Let's go. This episode has been brought to you by the Go to the website below to purchase this beat. Damn, I appreciate that. My mic wasn't on at the time, but thank you, man, for the comment. Uh, excellent channel. Appreciate that. Let's get back to some commercial break. Go to the website below and purchase this beat. to the website below and purchase this beat. Folks, once again, thank y'all for checking me out and um, on YouTube, Facebook, Steri Yuri 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 Yo. I'm gonna have something that actually says that. Watch the next time you'll hear it. But I uh, appreciate y'all for coming in, checking me out. I might come back here again on Thursday. I normally try to do podcasts uh, Mondays and Thursdays, but it, if uh, if not, at the least, I try to do it every Thursday. All right. So with that being said, you're rocking with the best thoughts of the week. I'm out of here. Peace.